Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today. Thanks for taking your time for up-leveling yourself and your business. Now, today's episode is amazing. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. Um, I love it when I get to interview people. In fact, I would ask you, do you love your job? Do you have things that just light you up in, in what you do? I encourage you to find a way to do more of the things that just really light you up. Um, this is one of those things I love doing interviews, but I especially really appreciate when I get to do an interview with somebody who is so amazing, who is such a game changer in their industry, um, and they share some stuff with us that is just going to knock your socks off. Um, you know, there's an old saying, <laughs> aren't I always just telling you old sayings? Um, there's an old saying that says, new level, new devil. And that's very true, because when you're a solopreneur, well, let's even start before that. When you are, um, you know, bivocational, you're starting your business, um, you know, but you also have one foot still back in corporate, um, you know, there's that juggle that comes from being, um, you know, in those multiple places. And then you start your company and, um, you know, and, and often when you finally leave your full-time job, you are a solopreneur. You are the cook and chief cook and bottle washer. Um, you know, you do everything. And then you bring on some employees, you know, and then you have to deal with employees. And it just, each time you grow, there are so much joy, so many benefits to it. But let's face it, there's also some struggles. Some, you know, I remember longingly how it was when it was just me. You know, Kathy and I have this. There will be times when we're just like, oh my gosh. It was so much easier when it was just the two of us doing this. But, but honestly, in order to make the impact that we know we can make in the world, we have to... Uh, both spread ourselves, but also share what we do with others um, and teach and train people so that we can do more good in the world. And I'm sure with what you do, that's true too. You really want to maximize, to clone yourself. And like I said at the beginning, to do the things that really light you up. And the stuff that only you can do. Now, that's a tough one. The first time I heard that, I was like, well, yeah, but but here's the thing with the things that only you can do. Is it something that only you can do and it gives you energy? I love it. My good friend who's going to be on our show here in a few weeks, uh, Jamie J. he runs a virtual assistant company. And he said, you know, really what you want to do when you're looking at what you can give to somebody else is... Does it light you up? 
does it give you energy or does it just deplete you? So maybe that's a better way than saying only you can do. Um, because I think most of the things you could probably find somebody else that can do it. And most of the time you'd probably feel like they don't do it as well as you do. But here's the thing. We all want to grow. And in order to grow, we have to take that new level challenges and then find ways to identify the things that are going on and then make the changes that are necessary to continue to grow and to take us to the next level. Each time you grow, what you're going to find is a new set of circumstances, a new set of challenges, and more things that when you overcome them, you'll be like, ah, I got this. That was easy. You know, it may not have felt easy when you took it on, but when you get past it, you're going to know that it really was. You're going to succeed. You're going to go further, farther, faster than you ever imagined. You're going to spend every day of your life focused on the big picture, focused on the good that you're going to do in the world. And ultimately, when you think about it, isn't that kind of what it means to live as a thriving entrepreneur? We have got an amazing show for you here today, and I just can't wait to bring our guest on and really be able to show you how you too can take all of this and expand yourself into living better as a thriving entrepreneur. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. Are you ready? Do you have pen and paper in hand? Or are you ready to be up-leveled in your life and your business? We've got some fun stuff to share with you today. And you're going to walk away up-leveled and ready to do more and be more in the world. If you have a business, have we got some help for you today? I, I'm kind of blown away that I get to be able to have my guest on today to talk to you about some strategies for cleansing your business, to literally get the bleep out of your business. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to be joined today by my special guest, Jenny Thompson. Jenny, thanks for being with us here today. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited to join you. Yeah, absolutely. So 
um, give us a little bit of your background um, and the things you've done so that people know who you are. Absolutely. I, um, well, I like to start with one of the oddest facts about me, which is my very first job, I was a bailiff in a courthouse, which doesn't really uh, check, it doesn't check all the boxes that someone expects for someone that ended up where I was. Um, but after a series of, of jobs in public relations and working at associations, I spent 20 years of my career at the Agora companies and my first job there, I worked for the Oxford Club as a marketing manager. I had a great experience there. My first year at Oxford Club, I was able to help them triple profits for the first time in the history of the club. And as a result, the owners of the parent company promoted me and asked me to take over the health business. It had been struggling a little bit and its leader was leaving. So my first year in that business, I was able to increase the profits 500%. And in my time at that company, I took it from about 2 million to 70 million. Um, I did that with less than one person resigning a year. So when people ask me, what's my proudest accomplishment? It's always focused on the team. I think when you build a team that feels empowered, that fills in your weaknesses, that sees the opportunity and wants to continue to be part of the team, that's the most important foundation in building a business. And um, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but one of the reasons I like to focus on my success with my team and how, how empowered my team was and, and how satisfied they were working as, as part of a team together is because one of the strategies that I talk a lot about is how to know when it's time to fire somebody. And for a lot of people that comes through in that Iron Maiden um, chainsaw mentality, and, and I want to be clear, I think the respect of your team and the value of your team is critically important, but that includes letting go people who are not contributing to your business. So may have jumped the gun a little bit there. Um, so well, I spent, let's just jump into okay. that. So, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, we all have good employees and bad employees and we reach that point where we're like, should I keep this person or not? And you have an amazing strategy for how to know. So why don't you share that with us? I have the simplest strategy for this. Um, and I, and I will just even back up and say, we all have good employees and bad employees. And then we have fine employees people that come to work and do an okay job, but the question is how do you decide who to invest in? And so my strategy is extremely simple, which is sit down and imagine that that person came into your office and resigned. And if your reaction would be, oh, thank God, now I don't have to fire them. That person has to go on the list of people that you intend to fire. And if your reaction would be, I literally don't know how I would come into work the next day after you left. I cannot run this company without someone with your experience and your drive and you're so um, such an important and valuable member of our team. Think about how much money you would give that person to stay in that scenario. And then with they will know how much you value them and they will not be looking for work. That's amazing. So are there people that don't fit into that, those two categories? Are there some people where, you know, you're not glad to be rid of them, but you're also not delighted and willing to pay them anything they want? 
There are, and, and I should clarify, it's not anything they want, it's anything you want to pay them. So, you know, they want $100,000, you're willing to pay them 15,000, give them the 15. Um, but there certainly are those people, and those are really the mediocre employees. And in a lot of cases, they're the people that, that want to do a good job, and they're just not capable of doing what you need them to do. And also in, in many more cases, there's somebody who was very, very valuable in a specific role when your company was younger. And now that you've gotten to a mature state, they don't bring the same value that they used to or the industry has changed. I think one of the best examples of this, for those of us that spent a lot of years in direct response marketing and we're sending direct mail, when you start going 100% online, what do you do with your print buyer? Well, if they're really good, smart, and energetic, and you think they can be retrained, you move them into another role. But if there's someone who is just kind of sitting there hitting the, the print, print, print button over and over, you let them go. And so some of it can be the employee and some of it can be the change in the industry. For those people, I think it's really important to do an honest assessment of what their skill set is and how they could contribute to your company See if you have another area that they could have greater impact. And if not, I think the best option is to reach out to people you know that might be looking for someone with their skill set. See if you can find them a placement. And if not, you add them to the let it go, let them go pile. Um, and one of my strategies when you're letting people go, and especially those that are very challenging decisions, be more generous with severance than you think you need to be. And be more generous with an, with an overall exit strategy and how they're going to leave the company and if they want to say they resigned instead of got fired, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's, it's incumbent upon you to make it as easy for them as possible, but your responsibility is to have the best possible people in every role. Mm, that's so powerful. I um, I both think of times since you've told me that, that, that I've, I've applied that and how great it feels. I also think of the first couple of people I thought of the first time you told me that. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I wish I would have known that with them before. <laughs> well, in fairness, Steve, I came up with the strategy when it happened. We had one employee that we had been having conversations about privately and saying, what are we going to do with her? She's not performing at the level that we want. And she came in and resigned and we all were so relieved that it fell into our lap. And that's how it became my standard. That's awesome. <laughs> I love how, um, you know, life just comes in and teaches us some of the best learning lessons that way. Absolutely. So the three-day business cleanse. Um, first of all, it's an amazing book, and I'm so glad to be part of it. But um, talk to us a little bit about how a person knows that their company is ready and needs a three-day business cleanse. Well, one of the interesting things is a lot of companies may not need the whole three days, but there's some portion of it they will need. When I was running my business at the Agora companies, I would do an audit of every product line every year because I think 12 months is, is certainly enough time to get yourself stuck in anything, whether you have product or marketing or employees that you need to re-examine. So I think that once a year time to sit down and look at things is important. What makes the business cleanse different is the process and who you're inviting and what the outcome is going to be. And generally, I think any company that's doing more than $5 million in revenue and has been 
operating for at least three years can benefit from the business cleanse. It's basically a way to get your business unstuck and to recognize the parts of your business that are no longer contributing or that could be contributing a lot more but aren't getting the resources they need and to really refocus energy, resources, and, and um, marketing efforts on the things that have the most opportunity to grow your business and then to make the difficult decision to get rid of the, uh, of the things that are dragging your business down. So I think anybody who's, who's under 5 million in revenue probably doesn't have the time or the money to invest in the, in the program and probably is not stuck on those things yet. And anybody who's, um, who's gotten to 5 million in their first year, probably the same thing. But I think if you're a three-year-old business or, or older and you're doing at least 5 million in revenue, the process would be very beneficial. So let's start from the beginning. What exactly is a, is a business cleanse? So uh, I used to work in a health business and we would all go through these three-day juice cleanses because we would feel better and our skin would look great. We'd be full of energy after a couple of days of misery while we were going through it. And the business cleanse is a perfect metaphor for that. The experience of going through it is a lot of work, it's a lot of time, and it's a lot of attention. But when you come through on the other side, the advantages are significant. The advantages are significant and visible. So the business cleanse is a, um, an unpacking of your business, a purging of your business, and a rebuilding of your business. We look at everything that you're doing now. We look at how it is contributing to your business, how it used to contribute to your business, how your employees feel about working on it, how your customers feel about the product, and we spend a day unpacking all of that. Then we spend the next day um, talking about the, the areas of the business that are taking too much attention, that need more attention, how to reprioritize some things. And then the last day is a very focused brainstorm on marketing, marketing strategy, and product development. And then it ends with a private discussion with the owners of the company to figure out which employees are, being, um, are not being challenged enough which employees have great opportunity in other areas and which employees are no longer able to contribute to the business they need to and, and need to be excused. Very difficult. I mean, I think I, the thing I love the most about the cleanse is it is kind of like doing a cleanse, you know, it's just misery for a few days, but it does have such a huge impact. Well, I always make sure people get good snacks at least. So that's the one way it's better than a three-day juice cleanse. Well, that's but true. Yeah, you're, you're really diving in and you're, you're getting out, you know, all the bleep and you're, uh, you're rejuvenating your business. And it's, it's three days of hardship for a future that's much brighter and streamlined, much more streamlined. So you mentioned a, just a little bit ago about the people you bring to it. And this is so powerful. In fact, I'll tell you honestly, Jenny, um, I was in, I, I have a men's mastermind that I'm part of every week. And um, we were talking about an issue a guy was having with his business. And I was like, oh, have I got the book for you and the strategy? <laughs> so I've already recommended your book, even though it's 
you know, just now coming out. I've already recommended it for about a month now to people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that element of who do you have, I think is so powerful. Can you talk about who you invite to the meeting? Absolutely. I think the thing that's the most unique about this, it's a three-day process, and it's critical that you invite different people on the three days. And one of the reasons I stress that so much is relationship dynamics are very difficult to change. And so you have someone who's, who's in a room with people, and they work together all the time, and they're in that room for, for three days straight. The way the conversation goes, who leads it, who defers to each other, that's going to be set. And so changing the dynamic by bringing other people into the room with other roles in the company is a very important aspect of it. I, I um, like to use the metaphor that relationship dynamics are like jello molds. They can move a little bit, but they're really just staying in place. And so the first day we have, I, I always limit it to seven people plus a facilitator. And it should be leadership of the overall company and then a couple of key people, whether they're in product development or marketing, um, but you can go, you know, I hate this phrase, but it's the easiest one to say, you can go down a level so you can bring in directors or, or managers depending on your structure. And then the second day, I recommend that you still keep all of your top leadership and then you swap out three people for another group of leaders. On the second day, I think it's very important to have someone that's having direct conversations with the customers. Getting that customer feedback, having your frontline people in there, whether it's a customer service manager or it's a team lead, they have a level of insight that your marketing directors and your product development people just don't have because they hear it firsthand. And then on the third day, you again want your top leadership to stay the same and you want to swap out those three or four people. You want some of the most creative people in your company. If you have your own copywriters, you want to bring them in if you have a creative designer. So the, the C-suite essentially is, is in all three days and then the people that join them change based on what we're discussing that day and who you think will have enough to say that they should be in that meeting. I consider those seats very coveted. You do not get invited to this meeting if you're not someone who's willing to speak up, to challenge people, and to contribute at a high level. That is really powerful. In fact, that was specifically the thing I suggested to this guy was, um, you know, what if you brought somebody that isn't your C-suite, what could they bring to the table? Because um, I think sometimes, especially when you get into that higher corporate level, you kind of get dismissed from the real world of what's happening in your business. I think that's a great and important point. And let's be honest, you insulate each other a little bit, right? So it's not just that you're separated from it, it's that you chose to be separated from it. And the C-suite kind of protects each other from that. There is one other point I'd like to make, and this is one that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Um, I think it's very valuable either on day two or day three to bring someone from outside your company. And you can bring someone that's not a direct competitor, but that has enough knowledge of your space that they can contribute. I think in the brainstorming and product development and marketing day, that's so valuable, but you have to make sure that it's somebody that you trust, that they're there serving you, and that they're not going to make you sorry that they were invited. But having somebody who doesn't have preconceived notions of your specific marketing team 
or the ideas that you've done. It's so common that we'll be in a meeting and somebody will have an idea and we'll say, oh no, we tried that. And we realize, oh, we tried it seven years ago. We tried it before everybody had Instagram on their phones. We tried it before everybody had smartphones. Maybe we should try it again. And having that outside person brings a lot of value and, and makes you just look at things a little bit differently. I don't know about you. I'm taking notes. I have heard Jenny talk about some of this before. And even still, every single time I listen to it, I hear more. Amazing stuff. Great ways to look at the core of your business, what's working, and let's be honest, what's not working, and then find ways to impactfully and effectively make the changes that are going to take you to the next level to make your business even better than what it was before and to cleanse out the things that have got you all stopped up as a company. That, more than anything else, is a true way to really, truly thrive. And that's what we want, is to really have our business moving, flowing, and productive as we go out and do our best in the world and we live as thriving entrepreneurs. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. You're listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk with Jenny Thompson about how to take your business through the three-day business cleanse and really get your business moving again. I know I'm taking notes. I hope you are too. Let's jump right back into it with Jenny. So I know some people that have been in corporate for a while, they're going to say to themselves, well, this just sounds like a SWOT analysis, but I know that um, you're very anti-SWOT actually. <laughs> um, and can, So can you explain to people how your process is different than a SWOT analysis? I can. I want to be clear. I'm not anti-SWOT. I think it's very limited. So I think a SWOT helps you identify these things that in most cases, you're not really taking action steps based on. I also think there's a lot more emotion in business than a SWOT allows for. So when you say strengths, it's, it's um, strengths or weaknesses. There's not a lot of emotion packed into those words. So I, I, use a different acronym. Um, and I also use a different process. The first thing I want to know is what do you brag about? What do you think you're better at than anybody? And it's important because a lot of times companies feel almost 
um, I, I mean, I hate to use this word. I guess it's not the company, it's the employee. They feel like apologetic for bragging about something. We have such a negative view of it. But if you're better at something than anybody else and you don't share that with people, you're doing customers a disservice. So what are the things that you would put yourself up against anybody in your competitive space, anybody in the immediate vicinity of your competitive space that your company and your employees do better than anybody? The next one is in some ways the most important, which is the E, and that is what are you embarrassed by? Everybody has things they're embarrassed by, and I, I share this um, to show my experience with it and, and to be authentic and, and transparent about it. We had a, we had hired a company to do a website for us and they did this complete discovery document and it said in it, what is the impression of your company by its customers? And so my team started saying things like cutting edge formulation and doctor endorsed. I said junk mailers, scammers, liars, cheaters. And my team got horrified. And I said, there are people who think that of us. We're, we're not paying this company $100,000 to rebuild all of our websites so we can lie to them about the impression that we're giving to people. And that was because of some of the marketing we were doing. It was also because of some other businesses that we were affiliated with that weren't necessarily, we, we weren't in control of, but we were connected to. But some of it was definitely our own marketing. And so what was I embarrassed by? I was embarrassed by some of our marketing language. I was embarrassed by some of our marketing techniques. And I wanted to move to change those. And I think when you have, for example, a company like Apple, where you might think who could ever be embarrassed working for Apple, well, maybe the employees don't like the fact that you cannot get online help, that it's impossible to email the company and say, I just need an answer to this. And so talking about the things that you're embarrassed to be associated with as part of a company is really important because it's also one of the things that leads employees to leave. And it's one of the things that leads employees in some cases, oops, it's one of the things that leads employees in some cases to then actually like sabotage the company. You may or may not remember for years, Disney had this problem where their employees kept putting things um, in a very inappropriate images in their movies. And that's because they're disgruntled about something and often it's something that they're embarrassed about that the company's doing. So that's the E. Um, and then there are two Ds. The first is dreams. I'm not a goal setter, I'm a dream setter. I think when you set goals, people tend to meet them and they very rarely exceed them. I also think when you set goals, if people fall a tiny bit short, they feel like a failure. And so if you were supposed to bring in 50 new customers and you brought in 49 new customers, you didn't reach a goal, but you still have 49 customers you didn't have the month before. And so I, I don't like to look at goal setting that way. I like to think about dreams and go as fast and as hard and as big as we can. And so what is, are the dreams for the company? And I like them to be achievable, but still very optimistic. And then the last thing that we talk about is distractions. What are the parts of the company? What are the old products? What are the hangers on? What are the um, customer service policies that are just distracting to deal with? And that if you would just cut some of those away, you'd have a much more engaged team and you'd have a lot more energy going into the things that can really build your business instead of the, um, you know, I love using the metaphor of a tree in this case because you have the big, beautiful branches and then you have the little suckers all over the tree that steal nutrients and water from the tree. So you want to cut those and you want to get rid of them so that the, the main trunk and the, and the main branches can really blossom and grow. 
That's amazing stuff. Um, you know, I think you could do a whole book. I know you've probably done whole talks about just uh, essentially making your bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I will share with you, Steve, that original acronym, I, I think you're absolutely right. It came as I have a saying about marketing um, that marketing is like sex. Everybody thinks what they do is okay and everybody else is either a pervert or a prude. And so it's really about opening, being more open-minded about how important marketing is to your company and, and being willing to try different marketing methods without assuming that if you weren't already doing it, there's something wrong with it. <laughs> oh, that's a funny phrase. <laughs> oh, So I want to skip ahead a little bit, you know, because people need to buy your book in order to get all of the juicy content. But um, I want to talk about prioritizing ideas. Um, you have an amazing graphic in here that kind of um, that kind of really brings it to life. But since we're on the radio and people can't see images, um, explain to people the XY axis uh, prioritizing graph that you walk people through. Sure. Um, and it's a, uh, so the, oh God, I know my, my math teachers would be so ashamed of me. So the Y axis is the um, resources invested and the X axis is the opportunity. And I always take a moment here to be very clear that when I say resources, I don't only mean money. And in fact, money is the least important resource because compared to talent and time and marketing placements, money is the most renewable of all of those resources. So resources are everything it takes to make something happen. So in the upper left-hand corner, what you'll have is something that takes a lot of resources and provides limited opportunity. And those are the projects that you want to kill. You don't want to put them on the back burner. You don't want to move them down your to-do list. By the way, you're going to get rid of your to-do list and use this priority grid instead. Um, so you, those are the projects that you're going to kill. They don't bring enough benefit to your business that they are worth having, they are such a distraction at that point, they, they just have to go. Below that, you have products that are, are low resource, they're not resource intensive, but they don't have a huge opportunity. And in order to move forward on those, what you need is an in-house cheerleader that believes in the product or the project and really wants to champion it and is willing to do most of the work on their own time. And what you do in this case is if it works, they get a significant bonus based on the revenue that they create. In the upper right hand corner, you're going to have products that are resource intensive, but also huge opportunities. And I always try to give an example of this. I think a great example is if you wanna move your, your e-commerce site from a WooCommerce shopping cart to a Shopify shopping cart, that is a, a significant expense. It is a significant investment of time, but it is also a significant opportunity because of the technology differences. No disrespect to the WooCommerce team. Um, so that's a great example of something here. It's very resource intensive, but with a lot of upside. And the decision there is when you have the resources to do it, you do it. And if you have the money, this is a great, anything that goes in this quadrant, you can talk about bringing in an outside project manager 
to lead it as a, as a 1099 contractor. So it doesn't distract your core people from their main responsibilities, but you're still moving forward. And then the last is the lower right-hand corner, which are things that are not resource intensive and have huge opportunities. And these are things like, for example, if you're writing an email newsletter, adding two days a week to it so that you can send more advertising and keep your, your people more engaged, that is a low resource intensive change that has the impact for huge, huge uh, revenue increase. So that bottom right-hand box can never have more than five things. And those are the five things that you're going to concentrate on. And I like to be really direct here and, and pretty much everywhere all the time for anyone who's ever met me. Um, these are not low hanging fruit and try to keep that phrase out of the vocabulary here because low hanging fruit can be really rotten, right? They're just easiest to grab. That doesn't mean they're the biggest opportunities. And what happens is you have enough low hanging fruit, they become a distraction from the projects that can bring significant opportunity. Speaking of distractions, um, you know, I use the phrase all the time, all distractions are equal. Um, talk a little bit about the impact of distractions on our business. There's a lot of research behind this, and um, I'm going to quote it all wrong, so I won't quote it. I'll just tell people to look it up. There are, there's significant research that if you are in a 30-minute meeting and you check your phone once, how long it takes you to reset from where you were in that meeting. So now think about your average day and how many things are on your to-do list. I remember um, actually the time that I met Kathy, I was speaking at a private mastermind for Gen Chem and I asked people who had a to-do list and everybody raised their hand and I asked them to shout out the number of items that were on their to-do list. And one person said 118. And I thought there's no way you could have 118 things to do for your business that are worth doing. And so in my experience, I would say a hundred of those are probably pretty significant distractions. What happens is they, you move your attention onto them, you invest in them, but you don't invest fully in them. So they usually don't come to fruition. They stop business development in other areas. And then what happens is you get these employees that feel undervalued because they're working on something that doesn't matter to you. And they feel frustrated because it's not coming to life. And it creates this level of stuckness everywhere. And these are things that just never can contribute enough to your business. I, I like to point out to people, if you're a business owner, every dollar that you give to a person who's not contributing or a project that can only contribute limited amounts is literally a dollar you're stealing from your own pocket or from something else that could work. And so making sure that you are not investing in distractions is critically important for the growth of your business. Wow, that's really powerful. Say that again, every dollar? Every dollar you spend on an employee that's not able to contribute to growing your business or that you invest in a project that doesn't have significant upside for your business is a dollar that you are stealing from yourself because you could be investing that dollar. So it's Steve, it's like putting a dollar in a drawer versus putting a dollar in a bank. If you put it in a drawer, no matter when you take it out, it's going to be a dollar. If you put it in a bank with the compounding, over time, it's going to be $10, $20, $100. And I know not at today's interest rates, but theoretically. So you invest that money instead in a project that has huge upside or in an employee that you really value and you want to get more 
energy and excitement from them, that dollar goes so much further than if you just threw it in a drawer. Mm, absolutely. So the other side of distraction is as business owners, especially, you know, once your company grows to that $5 million mark, there can become things that we're just in love with. <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Talk a little bit about um, those pet projects of the owner or CEO of the company. Yeah, so those are hard because especially when you're a small private company, even if you're doing five or $6 million a year, you're relatively small and private. And it's one of the benefits of being in business for yourself is you get to do things you want to do. The negative of it is it is usually, it is oftentimes a distraction and the employees don't feel engaged in it and it ends up taking time and attention away from other projects. However, I think this is what you might be referring to. When I work with somebody on a three-day cleanse, one of the things we do is we make a shut the F up list, list, excuse me, a shut the F up list. And what that means is the CEO or whomever knows these things are a distraction, knows they are not moving the business forward, but is so committed to them that it is a waste of our time to discuss stopping it. And so the CEO gets to make that list because it's their company and, and they're the one making the investment decisions. But I always hope that because they've brought me in and because they're committed to the process, that is a very short list and that maybe it is actually negotiable in the long run. If you have pet projects that you just want to do, I actually recommend hiring a project manager on the side that's not part of the company that's just going to work on your pet project to see what can happen and whether it can come to life. Um, employees that end up working on pet projects for the CEO frequently feel like they can never make anybody happy. They don't have growth opportunity and the project is just going to kind of drone on and on and on because it's this, vision of the owner and nobody else could ever bring it to life the way the owner has seen it. So that makes them dissatisfied being involved with the project. And it's always, always very limited revenue opportunity. So Jenny, can you share with us some examples? I know you may not be able to use the company's names, but some examples of uh, companies you've worked with gone through the three-day business cleanse and results that they've had from it. I absolutely, and and you're right that I won't share um, names or identifying information. But um, one company that had done a lot of work in the direct response television space and wanted to get more into direct communication with their customers. The, the reorder rate on television is terrible. The retention rate on television is terrible. And we know that if you can have a solid email marketing strategy and communication strategy with your customers, you can significantly increase that. So that was one area where we were able to introduce that strategy. Another thing that happened there is they had one product that was significantly stronger and generating a lot more revenue than several of their other products and we were able to carve it out into its own business unit and create a team that would be focused exclusively on it instead of just making it one of the many. And I think it's important to run your business in that Darwinian way that products that bring in more, that 
that generate more, that more customers want to see, get a level of attention that you don't give to your lower level product. So that's one example. Um, we had another where the CEO was running a financial advisory business and had recently become very committed to some changes in her personal health. And when she started to introduce some, some cooking and, and other health-oriented products, the team was very dissatisfied with it. They thought this isn't what we're here for, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. And they did not have the comfort level to say to her, we don't think this should be part of our company. And so that's something that in that meeting we were able to kill. Um, and again, like not back burner it. We said, this, this is done. We're not doing this anymore. And then one more example is, uh, you know, I always talk about the seagull problem, which I think a lot of people know, which is somebody who swoops in, craps all over everything, and then flies off and leaves you to deal with it. And there was an editor that was very well respected, had a great following, but was just not available enough. So when he would come in, he wouldn't be satisfied with the work and, and it could be weeks of work that people had done and he would only be there for a couple of hours and say, none of this is what I wanted, but they didn't have enough direction to get it where he did want. So we completely changed the entire process. And during the conversation, this is an important aspect of this too, during the three-day cleanse conversation, we talked about whether he should basically be fired as their, as their editor. And even though he had the following and the advice and people loved him, was he still too much of a challenge for it to be positive for business? And the decision was no, he should, he should be kept up. And so we redefined the entire working process in order to accommodate the way that he worked. And one of the things that we did is we had them write, I wanna say it was like three or four months worth of content at a time so he could take it with him and review it. And then once he approved it, it was unchangeable unless there were changes in the market conditions. He wasn't allowed to come back and do more editing. And he loved that process. It freed him up a lot. I think a lot of times what happens in businesses is you start with what, what model has worked. So if you're a magazine publisher, you're gonna publish a magazine the same way everybody else has always published a magazine. And that might not work for your team, but you're not looking for what's the best way to do it. You end up making one step or move changes that don't really help anybody. And so in this example, we completely turned the model on its head and we created a very different way of communicating within the team and for the editor to communicate with his audience. That's good stuff. So, um, you know, there is just so much. <laughs> you and I could probably talk for the next couple of hours and, and still just have questions that I'd love to ask of you. But um, <laughs> for a person who isn't at that $5 million three-year mark. Um, there's still some really great information in here. I mean, I'm going to ask you a very unfair question. Um, what is, out of all the stuff in here, one thing that just kind of comes to your mind that you know that that newer company, that less than $5 million company could really do that would have a huge impact on cleansing out the stuff in their business? Um, yeah, it's not an unfair question. It's, it's only unfair because it's, it's a softball for me. It's a combination of the priority grid and the staffing decisions. I think that so often, especially when you're a new company, you feel like people are doing you a favor if they work for you. 
And it's also very hard to let people go when you have very few people because there's no one to pick up the slack. But making those honest, tough decisions and using it to move your company forward is the single best thing you could do. And again, if you're under three years and under five million, every dollar you give that person is a dollar you're stealing from your future opportunity. They are not the person who's going to build your business. So I, um, I think that is the single most important thing is you are better off pausing and taking the time to bring in the right person than continuing to chug along with the wrong person. And then I think the priority grid works because we're so trained to make to-do lists and we're so trained to look at goals a certain way. And when you narrow them down this way, and, and in some ways when you give yourself permission to kill something, because if it goes in that quadrant, there's no other option. You give yourself permission to say, I am not thinking about this anymore. This is now literally dead to me. That is a great freedom that lets you focus on those other areas. So I think those two things together, anybody can do. You can do it whether you are a two-person company with $10,000 in revenue. You can do those things. And if, you, if you're a two-person company and that one person is somebody you can afford to lose, absolutely lose them now before they become very significant to the company. The last thing I want to point out about terminations, which is – you know, I, I say this, people do think it's kind of a uh, heartless thing to talk about. I always think you can, be huma- you can be humane and still recognize your responsibility to a company. A lot of people worry about firing somebody and the effect it will have on the team. And I have to say, other than firings that have been completely personal and capricious, which unfortunately I have seen, anytime you fire somebody who's underperforming, even if they are literally the most popular person at your softball games and your happy hours, the team is relieved because they know they've been carrying their weight and they know that that person has been rewarded for doing less work than they do. And so they may still want to have drinks with that person, but they feel better that they are not part of the business. And as long as you're making business-based decisions, your team will never betray you for terminating people. Mm. And just to go back, you know, that, um, that priority grid that you did at the event that you were talking about that Kathy was at, um, she loved that so much that she not only shared it on the phone with me that night, but that was like the very first thing we went over when she got back from that event. So it is a powerful way to look at your business. You know, and I, like I said, I think it gives you permission to start ignoring things and if they don't fit in a certain way. And I know Kathy told me when we did the new graphics, she said, I printed it out right away. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that she's, uh, she's so excited. And the graphic is in the book for everybody to use. Yeah, and it's a fun graphic too, you know, between the skull and crossbones and Superman, um, just in the top left quadrant and the bottom left quadrant, <laughs> it gives you an idea of yeah. how visually powerful that, that image really is. Um, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so are there any concluding things that you'd like to share with us before we end today? I assume you're going to give them all the information about buying the book. So yes. we won't do that. Um, I, you know, I think um, the one thing we didn't really talk about, if you are going to do a, this three-day cleanse, it's a process that you have to invest in. 
And I think it's very important to get the right person in the room to facilitate. And the most important thing is that is not the CEO and it's somebody that can um, stand toe to toe with the CEO. If the CEO is running this process, you are gonna end up leaving after three days with almost exactly what you went in with. And that's because of the, those communication dynamics I was talking about. So if you make the decision to do the three day business cleanse, decide that you're going to invest in the right facilities, in the right people, and really get the most out of the process. Otherwise, just do the piecemeal things and make smaller, but still measurable improvements. If you're going to do the three day cleanse, commit to it. The book is called The Three Day Business Cleanse, How to Get the Bleep Out of Your Business and Get Things Moving Again by Jenny Thompson. It is a powerful, amazing book. Jenny, I appreciate so much um, you taking the time with us. And uh, to, is there a website that people can go to besides going to Amazon and getting the book? So it's, the website is generatemarketing.com. Generate is spelled with a J instead of a G. So it's J-E-N-E-R-A-T-E marketing.com. And I encourage you to go there. There is so much Jenny has to share. Like I said, we could have gone for hours here, but I wanted to give you enough of the taste of the three-day business cleanse that you will dash off to Amazon and pick it up right now. It'll, you'll be glad that you did. Jenny, thanks so much for spending some time with us here today. Oh, thank you, Steve. I had a great time. I think I, I uh, love talking about it. And I think something new comes out every time I have the discussion. So thank you so much. And thank you for your support. An amazing book you have to get from Amazon, The Three-Day Business Cleanse by Jenny Thompson. You know, I've actually already recommended it to people before the book was even out. And now that it's out, I absolutely recommend to you that you get it you learn from it, and you really, truly keep your business flowing. That's really one of the most impactful things we can do is to keep the crud out of our business and keep it running efficiently and smoothly. There's going to be times when stuff's going to come up. That's okay. You can clean it right out, and you can move on better, faster than you used to be. And in the end, then you'll know that you're living as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. 
Thanks for listening today to Thriving Entrepreneur. I feel a little bit like at the end of The Wizard of Oz, um, you know, where the scarecrow looks at Dorothy and says, what did you learn, Dorothy? I feel that way myself. I'm asking myself that question. What did you learn today, Steve? And I'd love to hear from you what you learned while you were listening to Jenny today. Um, Feel free to... Go out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, hashtag us, hashtag Thriving Entrepreneur, and then share with us. This is what I learned today. Um, Go to Amazon, pick up Jenny's book, do all of those kind of things and up-level your life and your business so that you can be the best version of yourself. And then while you're doing that, pass it on, share it with the world, take that piece of who you are and give it away. Um, I love what Lisa Nichols says. I still remember how much it impacted me the first time I I heard her say it. And that's simply your gift, your message. It was never meant for you. It's there in you to give away. It's meant for the people that you're meant to serve. To, um, as the Bible would say, hide your stuff under a bushel, hide your light under a bushel, is not a way to live. What we want to do is share our message, share ourselves, share our gifts with the world. Make the difference that only you can make. Because if you don't make it, nobody else will and nobody else can. There are other people with similar messages but none of them will ever be you. And because of that, they can never reach the exact group of people that only you can reach. They will never make the impact that only you can make. You see, you have a purpose. You are uniquely brilliant. And you were created very specifically on purpose for a purpose. And here's news. The world needs you. They need the very best part of you to be shared with all of the rest of the world. Because when each of us does what we're meant to do, all of us thrives from that. Kathy and I are here to help you share your message with the world and live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. You're welcome to come join us in our free group. It's called Best Sellers Guild. You can just go to bestsellersguild.com. That'll take you to Facebook, to our free group, and we would love to have you join us. We're here to help you as you make your difference in the world and to then help you share your message with the world. Until next time, know that Kathy and I are here for you and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? 
Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.